0: Hey guys, Debs here, and welcome to another episode of Movies with Debs. For today's episode, we're going to be talking all about film festivals. So not sure if you guys are familiar with film festivals or if you've ever been to one, but today we're going to be diving into what exactly is a film festival, and then we're going to segue into the recent We Are One film festival, which was one of the world's largest virtual film festivals held during this pandemic. So today I'm joined by a special guest, Cynthia Liu, who's gonna be joining me to talk about all of these fun things. So Cynthia, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Hi everyone, my name is Cynthia. I am a recent graduate from University of Wisconsin-Madison, Go Badgers. I was actually a triple major in college. And one of them was film TV radio. And I had a minor in media production. So I am definitely a film junkie. Yeah, I'm super excited to be on the podcast with Deb today.
0: Thanks so much for coming on to the show, Cynthia. Thank you for having me. So to help the audience to get to know you a bit better, just want to do a few quick icebreaker questions for everyone to know you. So first question is, what is your favorite movie?
1: Uh, I hate and love this question. Uh, <laughs> um, I think like when it comes, okay, when it comes to favorite movies, like it's always going to be on a rolling basis for me. And I don't say this because I'm on a bandwagon or anything, but right now it's definitely Parasite. And it's not just because like everyone's favorite film is Parasite right now, but because I was a huge Bon Joon Ho fan from the very, very beginning. I consider myself one of his original fans, so... Obviously, like, after Parasite came out, I think that's one of his best films so far, and I am here for it.
0: Love that you love Parasite. So then my second question is, what was the first movie that you saw in theaters?
1: Oh, I think, okay, I'm not sure what the very first movie I saw was, but I know the first movie I remember seeing in theaters. And it was because it was in 3D. (laughs) So it was the Polar Express, and my parents both took me during their Christmas release. And I just, I think, like, I mean, that was the first 3D movie I saw. So, like, I remember it very clearly because it was such a different experience. So, yeah, that was the first one I remember.
0: That's actually my favorite Christmas movie. So I'm really happy you brought that up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's an OG Christmas movie. Cool. Well, then
0: the final question is, if you could step into the world of any movie, which movie would you choose?
1: I have never thought about that before. Well, I have, but okay. Okay. I guess like... If I could, I'm a huge musical nerd, too. I was, like, really into theater throughout high school. And so, like, I think when it comes to musical genre of movies, they're always very happy. Like, the worlds are usually perfect worlds. So I would say, like, any type of musical, I guess, except for maybe, like, a few really dark ones, like Louis Miserable. But, like, any happy movie musical would do, like, I don't know, like, Hairspray. That entire genre, I think, is usually a a utopian world, like the closest to a utopian world that we have.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I think all of us could probably use an escape into a happy musical right now, just uh, given all that is going on in the world. Now let's shift on over to the main topic for today, which is film festivals. And so, Cynthia, I'm curious, have you ever been to a film festival, worked at one? Have you had any direct experiences with a film festival?
1: Yeah, I have had a little bit. I have to say my experience is pretty limited. Um, I think the first time that I was really introduced to the idea of film festivals more firsthand was working at this Film theater company called Facets Multimedia in Chicago. So they put out the children's film festival, Chicago Children's Film Festival annually. Well, I didn't really work on that end of directly helping out with the festival, I definitely watched it happen because it's hosted in their own theater spaces. And I was a kind of like a marketing cinema intern. And so I was really working with like the distribution side and working with just independent films that were coming through as premier Chicago releases in the theaters. But it was really cool, like watching how much work is really put and how much thought is really put into those film festivals. And I don't think a lot of people see how many people are really behind the scenes and working on developing curating films for months and months and months beforehand. And so that was like my first direct experience with film festivals and then when I got to college we had the Wisconsin Film Festival. So I went to school at ULB Madison and Wisconsin Film Festival happens in Madison, Wisconsin. So it was very easy for students to really be involved. I think Wisconsin Film Festival is actually also the biggest university-created film festival there is out there and so that one's really big for the Midwest and so I got to kind of volunteer and just help out I would like pass like just being kind of like a theater like door opener person um being that I was a student so I couldn't like do too much but yeah it was really cool just being the people that can came through that festival and just watching the organization behind the scenes work of like having all of these different people from multiple different states come to this small city in the Midwest.
0: Yeah. You mentioned how it really takes a whole village of people to really make a film festival work. And fun fact, Cynthia was able to intern at Facets. I actually also interned at Facets before, and I actually specifically (laughs) helped out with their film festival doing the curation that she had mentioned. So before a film festival happens, a lot of filmmakers will actually submit their movies and works to the film festival organization to see if they can qualify for being shown at this festival. So what I actually did at Facets for their children's film festival is I actually went through, I think, 100 plus movies, like I actually had to watch every single one of them, and then create a report and saying whether or not I would recommend this film be put in the festival. And because it was dealing with kids, you also had some other considerations, like making sure that this film was appropriate for the age level that it wanted to go for. And so there definitely is a lot of work on that front. And then there's also a lot of logistics, like even just organizing all the DVD screeners that we get, also processing payments, because usually someone who wants to submit their work to a film festival has to pay a fee. So there's also a lot of logistical stuff. And then, of course, marketing the film festival. In fact, some of the interns I worked alongside with, they had to write the marketing copy for the brochure and the pamphlets that people who attend the film festival get. And then as Cynthia mentioned, like on the day of the film festival, there's also a lot of logistics in terms of making sure people get to the right theaters. The films actually show on time and without any technical issues. So yeah, it really takes a whole village to make a film festival successful. So I'm curious then for the Wisconsin film festival that you were at, what kinds of movies are shown there and what is the atmosphere like on the day of the film festival?
1: Yeah. So Wisconsin Film Festival, I think like one of the key components is how local it is. Um, Like one of the categories is very much like Wisconsin made festivals. And then there's also another category that's specifically dedicated to students who have made films, like who are film students in the University of Wisconsin system. And so like, it's definitely a very local film festival, I would say. So a lot of the films are very driven by Wisconsin narratives. We have a lot of documentaries that come through too. Last year, I think the biggest one was like the Toni Morrison, the pieces I am actually came through, which was like a very big deal whenever we have a big name that comes through too. And so yeah, I would say like the festival itself, it's definitely like one of the largest gatherings that appears in Wisconsin, I would say. So it's a very big deal. We have, I think like last year was about Twenty to thirty thousand people that showed up for uh, like attending the film festival, which is a lot for Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. uh, we had <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So you said that there were twenty to thirty thousand people that showed up last year. So I'm curious, what is the demographic like? Is it mostly just film lovers who come, industry professionals? What does the makeup of that audience look like?
1: Yeah, I mean. It is Wisconsin. <laughs> so I will say that, like, a lot of the people that come through are very old Wisconsinites. So that's like usually the audience that attends these film festivals, besides, like, a very passionate student demographic who mostly go to UW System schools in the surrounding area of Madison. There definitely are industry professionals that come to speak about their films. Two years ago, the most famous person in terms of like, being more high profile that came through was Nick Offerman from Hearts Beat Loud. So he came through to talk about his new film. And that was really cool for us.
0: So I think some people might be wondering, then why do people go to film festivals? I think you touched on a few things like, for example, movie lovers, I actually remember going to the Toronto International Film Festival a few years ago in 2017. And Toronto International Film Festival, which a lot of people call TIFF for short. So TIFF is one of the largest film festivals in the world. And they're also usually viewed as one of the first pit stops that many movies make during the fall awards campaigning season. And so the TIFF Film Festival usually sees a lot of big names come in and they have a lot of splashy red carpet premieres and it's one of the unique festivals in that even though it attracts a lot of big names it's actually open to the public. So a lot of the bigger film festivals that we hear about like Cannes, Venice, a lot of those are invite only and actually limited to film industry professionals for most of the time but there are these film festivals like TIFF that are actually open to the public and are still able to give fans not only a chance to watch new movies but also to engage with Director, screenwriters, or people in the industry. And so, yeah, one huge reason that people go to these is because they're film lovers. Like Cynthia and I, we both go to these film festivals because we love movies. We love seeing them before they get a wide release. But also what a lot of people probably don't know is that a lot of these film festivals have a business component to them.
1: Yeah, so with film festivals, there's obviously this entire indie distribution route film acquisitioners will go to the festival and pretty much go through like this entire buying process and auction process of purchasing film rights to screen and release to a wider audience. So with like TIFF, like one of the biggest places I would say that um, a lot of these distributors will go to, to see the first round of films. And another part of it is just like if your film isn't really being bought, then it's, it's a really important place to be networking and marketing to distributors who might be interested, who can like at least get your name in the door so that maybe next time your name is more known also. So it's definitely like this networking selling process that happens and goes on behind the scenes.
0: So there's definitely a lot of business deals that happen. And there's also a bit of awards campaigning too. So film festivals happen all throughout the year, but a couple that significantly impact critical acclaim and attention would be like the Cannes Film Festival. In fact, that's how Parasite, which is Cynthia in my favorite movie at the moment, kind of got its awards momentum start. Because the Cannes Film Festival has a reputation for really drawing attention to global films and giving them a platform to be known by a broader audience. So actually, when Parasite won the Palme d'Or, which is like the highest honor at the Cannes Film Festival, that basically started paving the way for the awards campaign. And then as you move into the fall, you've got like all these different film festivals that these films start to attend in order to start building up buzz around a potential Golden Globe or Oscar win. In fact, for the TIFF Film Festival, what's interesting is that they let audiences pick their favorite films and then they hand out award based on that. And I think for the past few years, the films that won that award have all been nominated for a Best Picture at the Oscars. So yeah, definitely a lot of awards campaigning there, leveraging the buzz to draw even more attention and hopefully critical acclaim for
1: these films. Deborah, what's the best film that you watched at TIFF?
0: So, <laughs> funny thing is so here's a little bit about how to actually get tickets to TIFF which was yeah. also a roller coaster ride on its own. So one thing that most people probably don't know is that these film festivals are expensive. <laughs> like my friend and I we were looking at different film festivals because we were thinking should we go to Sundance? Should we go to TIFF? Should we go to like Tribeca? And we were looking at all of these different options, and to be quite honest, TIFF was actually the most affordable option. So what happens is you can either buy tickets individually or you can buy a pack. And basically those pack give you vouchers that you can then redeem for the film that you want to see. So the TIFF Film Festival is two weeks. And so the first week is usually when there's a lot of big, splashy premieres. That's when all the celebrities are there. That week was super expensive. I forgot how much it cost. So we were just like, all right, not going. So what ended up happening is we only went during the second week and basically got their back half package, which is cheaper. So I think you get six tickets for it was less than $100 US. And then you would have to figure out what movies you want to see and then get online to actually try to get those tickets. But they give you a window where you can actually redeem the tickets for the movies that you want. So it's almost like you can have a plan of things you wanna see, but if you're not able to get the ticket in time because of whatever your slot is, then (laughs) you have to go with priority B. So my friend and I was actually a pretty stressful experience where we were just, you know, both on our computers. And since it was six tickets per person, we were just like, all right, we're going to divide and conquer. So basically, whatever we get, we have to buy two tickets so that we can see it together. So the movies we ended up getting, we actually saw Lady Bird. So that was before Lady Bird made its wide release. We got to see it at TIFF. We also saw a documentary with Agnes Verda. And it was her taking a road trip with this mural artist, Jr. So it was just kind of them taking a road trip and basically listening to people's stories and then doing those life-size murals.
1: Is it Faces Places?
0: Yes, Faces Places. (gasps) Okay. Faces Places. That one was really good. It was really fun to watch. Yeah. So I would say... Those films stood out to me the most. I would, I will say Lady Bird was probably my favorite, but I think Lady Bird ended up being a lot of people's favorite <laughs> that year. But yeah, there were a few films that we really wanted to see that we just couldn't get tickets to or they only made their premiere in the first week. And because we got the cheaper back-end packages, we didn't have the chance to see it.
1: Mm, yeah, no, film festivals are so expensive. I had like a friend, at UCLA's Daily Bruin newspaper. And they had like three spots for reporters to go and attend the festival and report back. And one of the people got sick last minute and couldn't go. And she was like the fourth person on the list. And so she literally was just like, I literally won the lottery to go see it. And it was like, oh my God, I was so jealous. She was like, I'm about to go to this Q&A with Bon Joon-ho. And I was like, okay, (laughs) all right, (laughs) I see you. (laughs) Yeah,
0: and what most people don't know is that film festivals actually are more than just movies. Like obviously- you go for the movies, but then there's also all these workshops, Q&As, and networking sessions, which are really cool to go into. I'm so jealous of your friend. I would love to go to a Q&A with Bong Joon-ho.
1: Me too.
0: <laughs> so what film festival would you want to go to? If you could choose any film festival in the world, which one would you want to go to and why?
1: I, I've always wanted to go to South by Southwest. I just, oh my God. I feel like... It, because it's like such a place for new talent to emerge. I think it's really cool that like you are pretty much the first person to see what new talent is emerging in the film industry. So I really want to go see that. I want to attend a Sundance in my lifetime if I ever do so get the honor of doing so. So yeah, I think like that. And then Keynes, obviously because of Just the international recognition of that film festival and how many amazing international directors and independent directors come through to that festival first. So, yeah, those three are definitely at the very, very top of my bucket list.
0: Yeah, definitely. I agree. I think for me, I definitely want to go to Cannes just because it's so exclusive. It's like invite only. So it's like, ooh, I want to be part of this exclusive club and see what it's all about. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, I totally agree with you that Cannes is definitely one of the most global film festivals compared to some of the other ones, which might you know, more international films are like an afterthought instead of its actual focus. Like, obviously, a lot of film festivals always have, you know, an international section. But to be quite honest, sometimes a lot of the film festivals that take place in the US do have a more Western-centric vibe to it and really focused on, you know, European films or American films. But I think Cannes is one of those few film festivals that truly make an effort to make it highly global. And I think that's something that I would love to just really see films from all over the world. And I think it's also a great push for more diverse storytelling.
1: For sure. Deborah, how about you? What are your top bucket list film festivals?
0: So I definitely want to go to Cannes. And then I also want to go to Sundance just because I feel like a lot of interesting acquisitions happen there. And also what I realized is I was actually talking with a friend and she said that a lot of the times at these film festivals, what you see isn't going to end up what's actually going to show in the theater once it gets a wide release. And so Sundance being so early on in the year... It's actually an opportunity for a lot of directors to kind of test the waters and see what people's responses are to their film. And then they might edit it so that by the time it gets to like TIFF or by the time it hits theaters for a wide release, it could look vastly different from what it was in Sundance. So being able to have seen that first draft of the film is a really fun experience. And actually, one of my friends brought this up because her friend had seen The Last Black Man in San Francisco in Sundance I believe and that was like an initial cut and then when that movie got released in theaters he went to see it again and he said wow it's so different from what I had seen in Sundance so I think that really just makes me want to go to Sundance to see a lot of these movies and then see them again when they have a wide release to see whether any changes were made because I think that's really interesting
1: yeah no for sure that reminds me of Damien Chazelle's Whiplash because it actually premiered as, I think, a 15 minute short film at Sundance first. And then it won like a jury award for fiction. And that's what attracted investors to produce like the complete version of the film. And then they made a feature length film from that. So, yeah, definitely. It's a place to kind of test out the audience and test out if this is a viable idea um, with a lot of those short films that do eventually get made into a feature length film.
0: Yeah, and that also reminds me that for some of these film festivals, we talk a lot about fully finished movies, right? Like fully finished movies that are shown to the audience. But sometimes in the networking sessions, there are even movies that haven't been made yet that are being put up for auction and for acquisition. So actually for the Cannes Film Festival, they have a film market where you can pitch films that have fully been made. But there are also those that might be in pre-production, but they already have a cast or they already have a storyline and they're also finding investors to try to buy that film as well. So it's interesting. It's like film festivals, you've got fully complete movies, but then you've also got a few people out in the market where the movie is only half made or even still in pre-production, but they want to bring investors on board. Well, right now... As you guys can imagine, with the pandemic, film festivals are put on hold, and a lot of them have actually been canceled or moved to virtual. So I'm curious, Cynthia, how do you feel about the impact of the coronavirus on these film festivals?
1: Yeah, I think to your point, like a lot of film festivals were canceled, and so with the entire epidemic and the quarantine, like you've seen like the effect on just the Oscar season of this year being the first year that they've allowed films that didn't have a release in a physical theater to be a part of the nomination process, which never happened in the past just because of industry standards and industry ritual of keeping films in theaters and really trying to keep that theater aspect alive in the industry. And we're really seeing a shift just all of a sudden. I think like all of us kind of saw that shift slowly happening, but with coronavirus, it speeded the process along quite a bit. And so now you have all of these, like, we are one film fest, which are these digital film fests that are completely online. And I don't know if it's good or bad. Like, I think I have like multiple different feelings. Like, what do you think? Like, is this, is this a good shift or is this a bad shift?
0: Well, like you, I think it's, It's hard to say if it's good or bad, but I definitely think there's no other choice (laughs) just Mm -hmm. given the pandemic,
1: right? Like
0: we, I know that South by Southwest, they had to cancel this year and finance wise, there was a huge loss and they had to lay off a huge part of their workforce. So I feel like just given the coronavirus, in order for the entertainment industry to survive, they need to pivot. They need to change the way they're doing things. But whether these changes are good or bad, whether they'll last. I think that's still questionable, but I do think it's a necessary change given the current circumstances. And to give a bit of context around the Oscar change that Cynthia just mentioned, essentially in the past, in order to qualify for an Oscar nomination, you had to have your film play in a theater. But because of the pandemic, a lot of them have gone direct to streaming, which is why the Oscar has now made this change. And I think I personally think it's all right, but I can imagine that the theaters are not too happy about that. The theaters who really depend on these films for revenue, they're probably going to think this change is bad. And especially if it shows itself to be a sustainable way to operate for the producers and distributors to go direct to streaming and still qualify for awards and get the recognition and buzz they need, then I would say the theaters are in pretty big danger (laughs) there. In terms of having the film festival online, I think that's good from the point of view of a movie lover. It's much easier to watch things from the comfort of your home. You don't have to pay for that travel. So I think as a movie lover, I like that shift to virtual. But I don't know, maybe the tourism industry in those local areas might not feel the same way. So I guess it really depends on which party you're in and how you're impacted. I think as a movie lover, the shift to virtual doesn't impact me in a negative way as much but i can imagine for theaters or the tourism industry in those local areas a lot of the sponsors who might sponsor these film festivals they might be a bit more hard hit and have a different take on the situation
1: yeah for me i have very mixed feelings because i think it's as you said like as a movie lover it's so nice to be able to access all of these films for free But also on the different side of the coin of attending a film festival, like part of the ritual is jumping from theater to theater and really planning out that schedule of everything that you want to watch. And you have this very intentional drive to go see those movies. And then once they're put online, my fear is that I'm going to put some on the back burner. It's not going to be as much of a priority because I didn't spend all that money to like travel there and then find lodging and make my schedule and make sure I see as much as I can. I feel like when I was watching the We Are One Film Fest, I had a list of things I wanted to watch and I only got through so much of it because just everyday things came up and it wasn't like a time of a dedicated week where I'm like, this is all I'm going to focus on. So that's the one thing that I'm like a little bit wary on of like having films completely just released in a digital space. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. For me, it was also a very similar situation where since it was all on demand and virtual, it was like, oh, I'll get to it if I have time. But when I went to TIFF, it was like, well, I'm here and I have a couple of days and there's nothing else for me to do but to watch movies, especially since I paid for it, I made the effort to come. So I definitely agree with that. And I also think that the energy in a live setting can't really be replaced. Mm. I think I'll always miss that feeling of watching a movie with just a thousand or two thousand people in the same auditorium like there's a very different energy there there's this excitement that you watching by yourself at home will obviously not be able to compare to let's talk a little bit about the we are one film festival then i know both of us kind of alluded to it in our earlier conversations but do you want to tell audiences a bit about what exactly the we are one festival is
1: Sure. So the We Are One festival was this online film festival that took place over YouTube. I think it was between May and June. So the last week of May, beginning of June. And it was organized by Tribeca, actually. But that entire festival pretty much featured a bunch of premieres of new films that were supposed to premiere at a film festival that was canceled due to the pandemic. And they also had a few older films that were from partner festivals that were also chosen to be screened to a wider audience. And so there were um, a number of different like, Q&As that also occurred that you would normally see at a regular film festival that you attend. And the I think the interesting portion of this was the kind of slate of older films that might have only really been seen in older film festivals in the past and didn't really have as much of a wide release that you got the opportunity to see virtually and online
0: Yeah. And to add to that, there was also a bit of a fundraising element behind it. So the We Are One Film Festival, as Cynthia said, it was a partnership amongst a lot of the world's major film festivals like Tribeca, TIFF, Cannes, Venice. They basically all came together to curate a selection of films, some of which were older, some of which were newer, for people to watch for free on YouTube, but they would encourage viewers to also donate to various social causes, so whenever you click into a certain film, you'll see in organizations so I think some of the films I watched for example were tied to UNICEF or they were tied to some of the efforts to fight against the coronavirus and basically you could donate so instead of charging you for a ticket fee they would encourage you to donate to the cause that is associated with that particular movie. But yeah what were some of the movies that you watched or what stood out to you?
1: So I definitely had this entire list of (laughs) different films I wanted to watch and I only got to a few of them which I'm kind of sad about I wish I could have scheduled in more time but I did watch one feature film two feature documentaries and a few short films my one feature film that I watched was Sisterhood and that was a really amazing film it was made by I think it was like a Macau and Hong Kong collab um, released. And so it was in Chinese and a little bit of Canto. And I think that was a really cool film just about sisterhood, the idea of friendship between women and then to hold from this entire Macau, Hong Kong perspective. And then I watched documentaries. So I watched Wake Up and that was a documentary about mental health. It was a feature doc, but it showcased different people from different parts of the U.S. and how they've dealt with their mental health. And then I watched Iron Hammer. So that one was pretty well known. That one's the documentary that tells the story about Olympic champion. And and it's also a Chinese film. I feel like a lot of the films that I did select were in Chinese just because I did, again, watch it with my family. And then a few short films I watched was like Bird Karma Um, and then Black Barbie, which I I watched Black Barbie, which was very like in the moments of this entire BLM movement of talking about black women and black girls about their own viewpoints of themselves. But it was also a very indie animated film. That was like the onslaught of movies that I watched. What about you?
0: Like you, I also had a very long list that was very ambitious, and I only got around to some of them. But for me, I watched a lot of shorts, actually, more so than feature films. And I think part of it was because I was really busy. And for me, I'm a huge fan of animation. So I definitely leaned more towards a lot of the the animated content, especially ones that came through Anansi, which is one of the largest animation film festivals in the world. So they curated a lot of animated content for the We Are One Film Festival. A few that really stood out to me was actually Bird Karma. So I saw that one too. And I thought that one was really, it's really cute. I think what I loved about animation is not only Bird Karma, but there was another one. And I hope I'm not butchering the name, but it's called Bilby. It's a type of animal found in australia apparently but these two i found really interesting because there was no dialogue it was like everything was just through image and music and yet it conveyed so much and it was so entertaining to watch so bird karma i mean i don't know how to talk about it without spoiling it but (laughs) uh, essentially it's about a bird exactly tom and jerry by basically a bird getting karma for being really mean to the fish that he's trying to eat. So it was very funny. A lot of slapstick humor as well. And I think it's perfect for kids too. But the other one that I also really found interesting was there was a short film called The Cats and it's from the Guadalajara Film Festival. They actually curated that one. And I think this one stood out to me because it's very different from people's preconceived notions of animation. I think a lot of people, when they think animation, they think family friendly, you know, like Disney movies or like DreamWorks and just really family friendly movies that everyone can watch. But I think a lot of people don't realize that animation, there's also a very mature category where it's more animation for adults and your kids definitely should not be watching that. I was actually a bit taken aback by the cats because it was animation. So I thought, oh, you know, cats, animation, like. This should be fine. And the way the synopsis was, it's like an old grandfather takes in a stray cat. So I thought it would be some like heartwarming (laughs) short. And then I realized it was actually very sinister because it was actually a metaphor for domestic abuse. Basically, there's this grandfather who takes in this cat. And you realize that this grandfather has many other cats as well, but he's not treating them well. And so this cat tries to run away only to realize that He can't survive by himself on the street, so he has no choice but go back to this owner who's being abusive. It was a very dark animated film, but what I will say is that even though it's very dark, the way they presented it wasn't as graphic, but it also made me realize, oh, maybe I shouldn't just put on any animation for kids when they're around. Like I should vet through these before I just put these on, because that is not one I think kids should, at least younger kids should not be watching this. So out of all the films you watched, which one would you say was your absolute favorite? Like if you had to recommend one to someone, which one would it be?
1: I would definitely say the one feature I watched, Sisterhood. It was, I mean, it was a very compelling story. So pretty much what it was, it was about this group of girls, um, four best friends who all worked as masseuses in Macau. So they almost became like this little family. A lot of these girls didn't really have parents or didn't really have families that supported them. So it was almost this kind of chosen family narrative of friendship, of family. And then there was just a lot of complexity to the story that you don't normally get to see, especially with female Asian characters. So definitely, definitely would recommend Sisterhood if anyone is interested in that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That was actually on my list of ones to watch, but just never had the time to get around to it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about film festivals. We talked a bit about the We Are One film festival as well. Before we close out the episode, are there any other things about film festivals that you want to talk about that you found really interesting or that you think the audience should know?
1: Hmm. I think like... The one thing that was, that is really cool about film festivals is that I think there we talked a lot about like the really big name ones, right? But there are so many more smaller local ones that really serve a specific audience. And I think one of the things that I fear a little bit with coronavirus is the disappearance of those film festivals. The film festivals that don't really have as much funding as Sundance, as TIFF does, and those will just kind of slowly disappear into the woodwork.
0: Yeah, that definitely is an area of concern. There are definitely these nicher, smaller film festivals or even local ones that happen that don't have that funding, don't have that exposure and have definitely been put at risk because of the coronavirus. So now is an opportunity for film lovers to come together and to support In any way we can, whether it be supporting them online and by showing up to their events online, donating to a lot of these organizations that are working on these film festivals, because a lot of them are actually run by nonprofits.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Thank you again so much for being on the show, Cynthia. It was really great talking with you. And I know you also have your own podcast, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It hasn't been released yet. But yeah, I am working on my own podcast called At The Moment. And it's created by AP on AP Media. So that podcast is going to focus on how U.S. current news affects Asian American communities so that we can better equip APTA communities with their own histories and with their own educations that aren't taught in schools. So that is going to be coming out hopefully by the end of September. That is the goal. That's definitely a podcast I'm putting a lot of time and energy into right now. Another one that I'm actually working on is the one that I actually am employed at. So I am a intern right now for the Business Casual podcast by Morning Brew. So that you can check out if you're interested in learning about business news and how that affects the larger industries, especially with coronavirus. Right now, we're doing a lot of coverage on how each industry is being hit right now so yeah definitely go check those out
0: awesome so definitely guys if you can tune in to Cynthia's podcast to show her some love and support and if people want to get in touch with you like if they're interested in collabing with you on your podcast or on any other initiatives how can they reach out to you
1: so I mean I am very active on my socials so dm me tweet at me my handle is C-Y-N-8 T H I A on across all platforms. I like to tell people that the eight is silent, so that it's just at Cynthia. <laughs> yeah, so like that's definitely a way to reach out to me.
0: Awesome. So guys, tune into her podcast. You can connect with her on her various social media profiles. And yeah, thank you so much for being on the show, Cynthia. It was great talking with you and thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of Movies with Debs. And I'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.